Welcome to Unwrapped, a food service podcast by Sand and Vendo America. An honest, insightful look into the issues, challenges, and trends of our industry. Welcome to Unwrapped, a food service podcast brought to you by Sand and Vendo America. I'm your host, James Kent. Now, when I was a kid, I remember going to the bowling alley. Uh, when I was really young with my father and being fascinated by this odd machine that dispensed paper cups and liquid poured out and poured coffee and soda and hot chocolate. It, It was amazing to me. And it was my first experience with a vending machine. Well, flash forward some years and the world of vending machines looks quite a bit different than it did to me when I was a little little child. Although the spirit of that first vending machine experience is still alive, self-service beverage stations are the norm today, and the options are quite a bit more than they were uh, when I was a child. We're going to talk about the evolution of the vending machine and what's happening now and what the future vending might look like. To help me along this journey is Mike Weiser, President and Chief Executive Officer of San Invento America. Mike, welcome back to Unwrapped. James, thank you so much. It's good to speak with you. Uh, I am really looking forward to today's topic. Uh, I find it fascinating as well, too, and, and I have some similar experiences with uh, with my first vending machines. Yeah, Mike, you've been in this business for a long time, uh, you know, like a quarter of a century. So, oh, my God. Well, when you say it like that. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> well, you, you maybe if you've been in it for, since you were five, then it doesn't sound <laughs> so bad. Uh, so, you know, just in that period of time, you've, you've seen a lot of change in the industry, I imagine. What's the biggest transformation you've experienced in vending? You know, I think probably the, the, biggest, the biggest transformation that I've seen in, in the industry, you know, there's – well, there's been a couple – uh, the transition from uh, from 12 ounce cans to 16 and 20 ounce bottles uh, was huge. The transition from CSDs or carbonated soft drinks to water, bottled water, uh, being one of the um, number one vended products, uh, and then you know all the way up to the advent of of cashless payment systems and and pay by phone apps. Uh, yeah, I mean certainly before you had to scrounge for coins. And then, uh, then it was uh, dollar bills, and now you can actually pay with your phone. It's uh, it's it's wild. Uh, you know, we're we'll, we'll probably get into it a little uh, later in the uh, in the podcast, but it's wild how uh, you know we're really becoming a, a true cashless society. Now, what was the first vending service? Do you do you know how it all started? Weren't they coin operated machines in England that dispensed postcards? The the first vending machines were used by the ancient Romans. <laughs> Yeah, so that's what what I heard. When I did a little digging, and I heard that it was potentially, they say, was developed in first century AD in Alexandria to dispense holy water. That's absolutely right. That was uh, the world's first vending machine, as as we believe it. So uh, even back then, people recognized the need to get a good on the fly, um, or if they're stopping and they want a beverage, a snack, something, you know, perhaps when they were heading to the Colosseum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what other milestones in vending occurred over the past century that leads us to today's world of vending? Well, you know, today's vending industry, we uh, we kind of like to pat ourselves on the back and, and take a little credit for uh, the, the, the landscape of today's vending industry. In 1937, 
we invented uh, the first vending machine for the Coca-Cola company. And it was basically a, a locking mechanism on an ice chest that you fill with, uh, with ice and, and product for gas stations so that when a gas station closed, and yes, back in, in 1937, gas stations were not 24 hours. They did close. Customers could still drive by and, and get an ice cold beverage. And then that progressed into an understanding that there was a market demand for a cold beverage for immediate consumption, not just uh, buying packages to take home for for home or uh, or restaurants. Yeah, you know, some of my early first experiences with vending machines were at service shops or gas stations. And I remember, you know, if, especially if my parents' car had to be fixed and we're waiting there, uh, my mom would dig up some change and we'd go over to, you know, the Coke or Pepti machine and get a can. Or back in my day, I remember even getting the little bottles of Coke that you had to pop open. Yeah, it's uh, it's wild. And, and the, you know, believe it or not, the, the dispensing technology uh, hadn't changed much from uh, from that era all the way up through uh, probably around the year 2000, uh, where we primarily used gravity as a means to uh, move a bottle or can uh, from point A to point B in a vending machine through a series of, of moving parts, motorized uh, uh, delivery systems. Uh, we still relied upon gravity to, uh, to move that product. Uh, and then in 2000, we saw... Uh, the advent of uh, robotic delivery systems, vending machines that had a glass front where you could see all of the product inside, and it used an X, Y, and Z axis to uh, uh, reach in and actually physically grab a product off a shelf and deliver it to a, a delivery bucket. Yeah, I was going to say, that's another thing I remember seeing the difference of there's some magic going on inside the machine and I don't know what it is, but my product comes out at the bottom to, you know, today where you could actually watch your uh, beverage get put in and then kind of shoot its way through down into the slot. And it's always very cool. But that actually brings me to another question. How have changes in packing affected vending mechanisms? Wow. It used to be, uh, used to be pretty simple. Packaging was really the, the vessel that held the product uh, back in the day. And it wasn't until the, uh, the 90s, yeah, probably the 90s, uh, when the beverage makers realized that, that the packaging was a marketing tool. And they wanted to um, uh, appeal to the consumer. The, the shape of, of the packages began to change. And uh, believe it or not, that, that poses a, uh, a big impact on the delivery mechanisms of, uh, uh, of the vending machines. And then, uh, again, we're, we're seeing the packages change, ever-increasing demand to lightweight our packages, use less plastics, use biodegradable materials. And, and all of that has an impact on the way that, uh, that a vending machine uh, moves that package from one area of the machine to another. And it's just, of course, not even just, say, beverages. I mean, now I see vending machines for anything. And especially if you go into an airport, you can see various products that people might want to purchase, and they come in a vending machine, uh, which is, I find, kind of amazing. So that brings me to another question is, what about changes in consumers' purchasing habits of affected vending? You know, you're really touching on two different subjects for uh, for me, and, and I can't wait to talk about them both. <laughs> Let's talk about consumer demand and uh, what their buying trends are. You know, it's, it's no doubt that, that we as a society are starting to pay more attention to 
to what we put in our bodies. And um, the, the consumers are really looking for healthier eating choices, uh, whether that be a bottle of water versus um, a, a syrupy carbonated soft drink or a salad uh, or sandwich over a, a candy bar or, or a hamburger. It's not quite as easy to deliver packages in beverage like water uh, that don't have some sort of firm package to, to hold it. And the firmness comes from uh, the introduction of, of a gas, a nitrogen or, or CO2. And uh, squishy packages are quite difficult uh, to, to vend, whether it's a, an XYZ robotic delivery mechanism or a more traditional stack style vendor. So it's causing us to uh, put a little more thought into the delivery systems to be a little bit more forgiving to changes or variances in the packaging. Uh, and then as we move in and look at food products, uh, it's quite different as, as you could imagine to uh, dispense or deliver a, a, a bowl of salad versus a, a candy bar. Uh, we need wider mechanisms. We need a more gentle uh, delivery system to ensure the, the products uh, maintain their, their package integrity. Uh, we need uh, safety systems in the machines to ensure that Consumers don't accidentally uh, get spoiled food or food that's that's past its date, food that uh, has been compromised because uh, it was unplugged in the refrigerated vending machine. So there's a, a lot of stuff going on there. That's interesting because when you think about vending machines of soda and snacks, I'm sure there's a methodology to, say, refreshing the inventory. Obviously, sodas and snacks probably have a long shelf life. And there's probably an ordering pattern. But now you get into the things that you were mentioning, like salads, that you're probably trying to maximize the shelf life of those products, but they must need to be refreshed much more frequently, which I suppose poses a different question of how much they have to be serviced, how much inventory has to be rotated. And you may not experience spoilage as much on, say, beverages, but when it comes to salads, if people aren't buying them. So, you know, I'm sure you have to really study the models as to the purchasing behavior with products like that. We actually are the manufacturers of the machine and we are not terribly involved in the in the restocking. But understanding that as an issue for the operators that, that do run the machines uh, has certainly changed how we design and develop uh, our equipment. A, uh, a beverage machine inherently by design forces the operator to load the product first in, first out. Uh, but that's not always the case with, uh, with fresh food machines. So we as a manufacturer have to recognize that requirement and develop uh, electronic software in some cases that allows the operator to tell the vending machine uh, the expiration date or best buy date uh, of the product that they're loading so that the machine can monitor uh, how many products can be held in that column, how many products have been sold in that column, and then match it up with the date to, uh, to ensure that products aren't, aren't compromised and, and sold to the consumer accidentally. Uh, it's some of the... Uh, inherent challenges of unattended retail, uh, as vending is sometimes referred to as. That's pretty cool. That area of technology, where have you seen technology improve vending and where is it still lacking? I would have to say uh, with regards to the overall consumer experience, uh, it, we're certainly starting to see some, some leaps and bounds with the introduction of IoT, uh, how the consumer uh, is able to 
uh, utilize interactive touch screens uh, to learn more about the nutritional value of their product, uh, how the vending operators are able to use those same touch screens to sell advertising space to lure the the consumer closer to the machine, the advent of uh, more current forms of payment like uh, credit and debit cards uh, and uh, and electronic wallets on your phone. Uh, those are all, um, you know, very recent and ongoing improvements in technology uh, that are, are certainly benefiting the, uh, the consumer. I would have to say, where are we? I don't know if lagging is the right word, but but certainly uh, an area of concern for uh, you know vending machine manufacturers is the uh, is the ongoing demand by uh, the DOE and Energy Star to continuously improve your energy consumptions to improve or lessen the impact of the refrigerants we use for uh, the refrigeration systems these are all uh, i would say challenges for for manufacturers to to make sure that we're we're providing a machine that uh, is of the quality uh, and design that our customers and, and their consumers expect, uh, while at the same time is uh, you know cognizant of the requirements of the environment and, and government agencies. It's a balancing act, and uh, you know we're we're always paying attention to uh, to that aspect of, of the industry. Yeah, it's kind of like a yin yang thing where on the one hand you are trying to expand capabilities of the vending machines while at the same time you're trying to maximize efficiencies <laughs> it's got to be a, a tricky balance yes for sure it's uh we all want that giant suv that holds seven people but uh we also want it to go 700 miles on uh, <laughs> on a gallon of gas yeah we could get working on that um so here's a question you, you know amazon amazon go grubhub 7-eleven now these are all services designed to give people what they want when they want to order it and delivered quickly. How does vending compete in this space? Well, that's that's another uh, excellent question. Um, you know, I've I've said before that the vending industry is is really an industry of convenience. When uh, when we think of vending, uh, we think soda pop and candy bars and, and snacks and chips. But what it really is, it's a means to satisfy that consumer's desire for instant gratification. It is taking those products, uh, those things, and moving them closer to the consumer uh, so it's more convenient for them to, uh, to purchase and, and enjoy. And, um, and Amazon and Amazon Go and 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 some of the um, the delivery apps, those are all probably in in reality the the biggest competitors to the vending industry. They're bringing products closer to the consumers and and making it more convenient for them. Are you seeing a need for vending machines in say locations or services where you didn't see them in the past? Uh, is there new markets opening up for vending machines? That is uh, something very interesting to me. I have a personal belief that if the vending industry is to survive and flourish, uh, we need to change our concept of, of what a vending machine is and what should be made available in, in, those, uh, in those machines. I may not always need uh, an icy cold beverage, uh, but what I might need at that point in time is a uh, USB lightning charging cable. And 
I can't wait for Amazon to deliver it to me because I'm, I'm at the airport, I'm getting ready to fly out, or I've left it in my car and, and I need it. I am trying very hard to speak to industry professionals and, and change the mindset of what it is we should be delivering in, in our vending machines and expand far beyond the, the confines of, of snacks and, and beverages to understand what it is the consumers are asking for and how we, how we bring it closer to them in, in a vending machine. So, for example, if you're the office manager responsible for ordering you know, the office supplies, absolutely, you're going to go to, to Amazon and, uh, and take a look and have it ordered and it'll probably be there the next day. But if you're good, you're probably going to cross-reference those prices or the delivery dates or the, the features and benefits with perhaps Walmart's online shopping cart or, or Target or Granger. And how do these companies prevent uh, a good consumer from, from shopping them uh, or shopping their competitors? And, and the answer is the same as it's always been. Move the products closer to the people who want it. So why wouldn't Amazon consider getting into into vending? Uh, why wouldn't Amazon place a uh, vending machine for office products in an office complex uh, and then automatically replenish it based on uh, inventory control systems through IoT? So perhaps there is a, a making of, of strange bedfellows. Uh, between vending and some of the the online retailers. I actually have a little bit of experience in my past uh, working in the office supply industry, and you just popped something into my head. One of the issues that large uh, companies have that when it comes to supplies, right, there was the typical supply room. And then there was the person in charge of, they, they order all the supplies that are needed, but people going in there and, you know, you have different cost centers within a company. So if you look at the situation of the most needed products and you can put that into a vending uh, machine type apparatus where instead of people punching in, this is how much it's going to cost, they can maybe put into their cost center and then the product comes out. Now there's a way to maintain the inventory and also provide the data of ordering of, hey, this department is ordering this and that, and that kind of uh, information, now that we have the Internet of Things and AI, can start to develop and help purchasing managers realize, well, what is it that the people in my office actually need? Yeah, you're you're hitting the nail right on the head. You know, uh, raiding the, the office supply cabinet for... Uh, uh, for paper clips and, and scotch tape uh, is is not a, a new thing. It happens all the time. And putting some inventory controls in place uh, and, and asking employees to swipe a badge or enter in their employee number to monitor uh, who and what and how much uh, is quite helpful to businesses to reduce their costs and also reduce their inventory so that they're not over-ordering uh, items they don't need. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And, and this kind of leads me into my next question, vending evolved. What does the future hold for vending? And what do you think you'll be seeing or experiencing five, even 10 years down the road? Well, you know, as we consider opportunities in vending, uh, like an Amazon office uh, supply machine, uh, we have to consider what it is that might be dispensed through that. And to my knowledge, I, I don't know that uh, the delivery systems exist for a ream of paper or a Ryobi drill 
uh, for a factory shop floor. And so to assist in that or, or to uh, approach that, we need to really consider uh, what the delivery mechanisms, delivery systems uh, are going to look like. And, and I think uh, that we're going to see a second generation of, of robotics entering into the, uh, the vending uh, business. You touched on, at the very beginning of the conversation, the cashless vending machine. I mean, we mentioned the coins to the dollars. I know that you, people can put in credit cards. But I think what you were saying is people are now starting to use their smartphones to make purchases. So I was hoping you could maybe touch on that a bit. I've got a perfect example for you. My, uh, I've got four sons. The youngest is 17. He's a junior in high school. And uh, his mother gives him uh, you know, a few dollars every week for, uh, for lunch. Well, mom was uh, away on a business trip, and he comes to me and says, "Hey, Dad, can I uh, can I have twenty bucks for for lunch this week?" And so I went to grab my wallet and hand him a twenty dollar bill, and he said, "Can you just Venmo me the money, Dad?" And I said, "Well, what?" <laughs> and yes. uh, he had to show me what Venmo was because he doesn't use cash. I have another son that's uh, waiting tables, paying his way uh, for college, and uh, every night. He stops at the bank and deposits, you know, I don't know, $100 in, in ones and fives uh, into his account so that he has access to his money on his phone. They're, uh, the, the generation of today, you know, the, the millennials and, and younger, uh, they just don't see the need to, um, to pay cash. You, know, you can't pay your Uber driver uh, with a $20 bill. Right. They, they actually get upset when they get to a device and they're being forced to pay cash versus being able to take their phone out and just go swipe. Yeah, for sure. I uh, went to uh, a fast food establishment uh, three days ago and was shocked to see there was no cashiers or cash registers. It was all uh, kiosk. So you choose the meal that you want on a touchscreen uh, and then you pay by, uh, by your phone. Uh, or credit card or, or debit card. And I think that vending operators are starting to realize that there's a cost in dealing with cash. Uh, with credit cards and electronic payment systems, uh, they know what that cost is. It's typically a 1% to 3% transaction fee by the credit card uh, processing centers. Uh, but with cash, you have to pay someone to count the cash. You have to pay someone to pick up the cash. Uh, you have to account for, uh, for loss of cash. Uh, so long as there is cash in an unattended vending machine, uh, you're going to experience vandalism. There's a cost to that. Uh, there's a cost to the payment systems that, uh, that validate paper and coins and, and dispense change. And I think that uh, retail, and particularly the vending industry, which has always been a, a cash business, is starting to realize that and really begin to deploy cashless payment systems throughout their uh, their fleet of vending machines. Well, I also think with the technology that's in place, you know, we're, we're going to be in a transformative uh, movement, I think, probably globally, but at least in this country, after we get through this uh, current crisis with the, the coronavirus. And that is that, you know, people are thinking when they handle cash, what am I touching? And there's going to be a movement. I mean, there's been a couple of spots when I was in the grocery store and I have to type in my, uh, you know, the grocery account code for getting the savings, but I got to touch the keypad. If I could just take my phone and zap it over there for that, then it's one less thing I have to touch. And I, I just, I see the near future and almost the immediate people's desire to 
handle cash as infrequently as possible. Well, I couldn't have teed that up any better, James. You know, I just want to take a moment to uh, to acknowledge the uh, coronavirus, COVID-19, that, uh, that is affecting our country and, and the world right now. And, uh, and just say uh, to anyone who might be listening, help stop the spread, be a part of the solution. If you can work from home, do it. Uh, if you feel sick or someone in your house is sick, please stay home. Uh, disinfect, wash your hands and, and cough into your arm. But you're right, I can't help but wonder uh, how quickly the virus might not have spread if we were a true cashless society, if we didn't have to touch the money that someone else touched that someone else touched. Um, I, I hadn't even thought of that, uh, that aspect of, of cashless. And uh, what a great time to uh, to bring awareness to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that, you know, this is a very unusual circumstance. It's certainly an unusual in my lifetime and everybody's and it's affecting everybody. So I, I feel that, you know, it, it, we're doing a podcast on a different subject, but it, it comes in, it just shows you how it does impact every area of our lives and business. And I know that people are now thinking when they do have to go out. I mean, I'm in an area which is in kind of a lockdown right now. I'm in New England. And when you go out, you're pretty much just going out to the food store. So that's when you really are thinking of the interactions that you're having with what you're touching. And when this podcast came up, it started making me think, especially in terms of what the technology is now bringing. And I, I just see that the virus is going to, you know, that crisis is going to pass. However, what is left when people are thinking how they interact with things? People need to go out and eat. They need to experience and socialize. However, they will look for, well, what do I unnecessarily don't have to do? And I don't have to touch cash. That would be a good thing. This is just reality. It's not, you know. Yeah, it's the, it's the world we live in today. Um, you know, you turn on uh, CNN and, and half of the broadcasters are, are broadcasting live from, from their basements or their kitchens. Uh, today's broadcast is uh, being brought to you by uh, uh, one, one guest in Dallas, Texas, and your host in uh, the New England area from uh, remote locations. Uh, it's, uh, it's 2020, and, and there are, uh, um, you know, different, different means of, of still being social. Uh, still being a social people and, and, and socializing. That's why I actually, uh, I, I love podcasts. I, I love uh, doing them and I love listening to them because texting is, is very convenient. And it's really, you know, I don't have a lot of uh, pick up the telephone and, and contact somebody. There's a lot of texting that goes on. But I feel that we've we've actually missed conversations and we crave them as humans. And so, you know, just getting a chance to talk to you today, it's it's great. It's just, it's fun and exciting. And then as we talk, new ideas pop into my head. And, and I think that's what conversation is all about. So I think this is why people are listening to podcasts because they miss that uh, stimulation of just listening in on a conversation. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, it's, it's fun, isn't it? Yeah. So Mike, it's been a pleasure uh, chatting with you today. This has been great. Thank you very much, James. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, any chance I get to talk about the uh, the industry that I love and uh, have been a part of for a quarter century, as you so graciously reminded me. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I love your passion. I think that's that's great. And uh, you know, I, I, I'm looking forward to maybe getting a chance to talk to you uh, again in the future. So absolutely, I'm I'm looking forward to it. And uh, everyone out there, be good humans. That's right. So I've been speaking with Mike Weiser, President and Chief Executive Officer of Sand and Vendo America. 
And thank you for listening to this episode of Unwrapped, a food service podcast. If you like what you heard and want to check out more episodes of Unwrapped, make sure you subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast content. Please be sure to leave a rating and a comment after listening. I'm your host, James Kent. We'll talk again soon.